All right, take your Bibles if you would. Let's go once again to the book of James. This is our fifth lesson in the book of James. And again, we're, uh, we're not doing the word-for-word study as much as we're just trying to get the picture here, um, uh, the, the big message of the book of James and the, the word that just keeps coming up in the outline as, as we're working through this is attitude. It is a biblical attitude toward uh, our, uh, our station and, and our place in life, a biblical attitude towards suffering, uh, towards salvation, towards religion, towards works. How in the world is my religion supposed to look like? What is it supposed to be? And, uh, you know, if, if you'll stop and you'll think, many of you were never in a good kind of church before you got saved. And so everything was different. And, and you just did not know what to expect. And... And James chapter 2 tells us how our faith should look when we approach other people. God is no respecter of persons, that, that we should be doers of the work, doers of the word, and not hearers only. Uh, that, uh, uh, that even if we keep the whole law, and yet we offend in one point, we're guilty. Uh, you can believe in God all you want. I wish I had a dollar for every person. Oh, but I believe in God. We were passing out tracks and uh, knocking on doors. And I met a guy. Uh, he was working on his car. And, and I said, hello, we're from New Life Baptist Church here in Jay. And just want to give you a flyer here, invite you to come. And he says, oh, I'm Catholic, but we're all the same. And I'm going, oh, no, <laughs> no, we're not the same. Uh, it's just so hard sometimes to uh, deal with all of these things, but we have to know something. If living faith is not producing living works, maybe it's not alive. Uh, One time I was in a nursing home. My charge nurse had been gone over the weekend. One of the residents had passed away while she was gone. And she put his name down on the vital chart that I was supposed to go and get all the vital records. And being just a little bit of a smart aleck, I wrote temperature 70 degrees, zero pulse rate, zero heartbeat, zero respiration, all those things. And and, uh, I just wanted to see what she would do. And uh, Pete, what do you do? I said, he passed away over the weekend while you were gone. Oh, that's right. What's wrong with me? And uh, I said, you wanted the vital signs, so I was going to put something down. And she laughed. And But if the person's not breathing, if there's no heartbeat, if there's nothing there, we we understand that person is no longer living. And yet people go to church every day of their lives. And there is no life whatsoever, and they still are content with a dead faith. You know, we we need to pray. 
And we need to realize our faith is alive. It comes from God, who is the source of all life. And we want that faith to live. And then we get to James chapter 3. And I want us to, I want to call this lesson the biblical attitude towards me, myself. What, what is my biblical attitude? What, what should I think of myself? I mean, sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll read the Bible and we'll see God's standard of holiness and then we look at our own life and see how far short we fall. And uh, it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to get discouraged there and think that I can never live the Christian life. But the, the Bible gives us a proper attitude and a proper understanding about how we should live the Christian life. And and it's found here in James chapter 3. Let's just take a moment, follow along with me if you would. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that we may, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed. And hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be, ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either the vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them 
that make peace. Now, we could, if, if we wanted to take apart every verse and examine everything in every verse, we would be every Thursday night till Christmas, just here in James chapter 3, because, I mean, there's just so much stuff here. There is, and, but what, what I want to do tonight is cover this in more of a summary fashion, but to, just to give us an understanding, a, a proper attitude, James starts out, as soon as he says, living faith produces living works, then he says, be not many masters. You know, the moment you start understanding that God is interested in using you to serve Him, you now have an opportunity to insert human effort and talent where the Holy Spirit is supposed to be. I've often met people over the years, and I'm telling you, they would make things happen whether Jesus wanted it to happen or not. Uh, I've met some pastors over the years, and it was not a a pleasant meeting because there was no... their spirit bearing witness with my spirit. It was... I remember one preacher told me, he said, well, man, if I was in New York City, I'd build a church there. I wouldn't have just a hundred people on Sunday morning. And I'm going... And I told him, I said, brother, the water's warm. Come on up. Well, he did. And he spent about a week here. And he says, you know, New York City is not like where I minister. They, they just don't listen up there. I'm going back where I can. I said, yeah, go back where you came from. Amen. I'm not telling you where it is because I don't want you to figure out who said those things. You know what he was trying to do? Be many masters. You ever met somebody that's just got to be in charge of everything? Now, I will tell you, at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, I am in charge of everything. You want to know why? Because God's going to hold me accountable for what goes on in our church. And so, I do not take that accountability lightly. If something goes on, and it's in the name of the church. It has the name of the church on it. It has something to do with our church. I want to know about it. I, uh, you know, at one time we had somebody put up a Facebook page with our church name on it. And, and I'm going, I didn't do that. Who did that? We never did find out who did that. Um, uh, that that's... Not necessarily where we want to go. But if we do put up a Facebook page, I want to make sure that somebody's going to put new pictures on it every week and uh, regular postings and keep it up and keep it current and, and, and do all that thing until I find somebody who wants to put that kind of effort and, and things. We're just not going to do it. I don't believe in doing things halfway. Uh, yet, we have people... Who just, well, let's, let's just get it done. Hey, be not many masters. You don't have to be in charge. In seeking to serve God, 
don't look for a position or a, or a place of leadership. Don't look for a title. We don't have very many titles in the Bible. The only titles that are in our Bible is pastor and deacon. And right now, our church has no deacons. Because those that might be qualified and could do that work are, are so busy that they would not have time to devote to being a deacon. And so, what we're trying to do is... we. And by the way, you don't have to have a deacon. I remember hearing from some guy who says, well, you just take the best guy that you have. If your church is full of drunks, you get the best one of them and make them a deacon. And I'm going, I, I can't find that in the Bible. If you don't fulfill the office, you don't get the office. And I've met so many people over the years that once they get a title... They're gone. We have many people that have come to our church. Will you baptize me and make me a member? And I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. Let's get salvation settled first. And, and finally get everything settled and they get baptized and they just disappear forever. Never hear from them ever again. And I'm sitting there going, what happened? Well, what they were looking for was... A title. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm baptized. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a this. I'm not that. And they think that's sufficient. No, we need to live our Christianity on a daily basis. Amen? And we don't need to seek positions of authority and positions of leadership. If God wants you to have one, He'll give it to you. I was preaching on missions and you know, at, at this missions conference, and I, I wanted the people to understand, listen, if God's calling you to missionary work, He's going to let your pastor know. I remember when I went to Brother Thompson, and, and some of you remember when Brother Thompson was here, he, he was, he's a very loving man, but he could be uh, uh, just slightly intimidating at times. And I'm being sarcastic. He could be extremely intimidating at times. And uh, I remember I set up an appointment and I said, uh, Brother Thompson, uh, um, I, I, I believe God's called me to start a church in New York City. And I was stuttering and, and he just looked at me and said, well, I guess we better ordain you then. And I'm going, he's not going to make some bad joke and he's not going to uh, tell me I'm not ready and all of these things. No. He knew I was ready. I didn't know I was ready. But we had an ordination and he commissioned us to come here to start this church. Praise God. Amen. You see, if God wants you in a position of leadership, he's going to put you there. And then James goes right on and he says this. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, as you know, I like grammar because grammar is important. We includes me, doesn't it? Now, James 
was including himself in there, in that term as master. He was talking about being a leader in the church. In fact, this was not James, the brother of John. This was James, the half-brother of Jesus, the natural child of Joseph and Mary. And uh, James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. When we get to Acts chapter 15, he was already assuming that position as pastor in that church uh, at Jerusalem. By uh, the time we get to Acts chapter 15, by the time we get to the writing of this book, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 12, possibly as high as 20,000 members. They met at Solomon's porch. Now, the uh, Saul, who would later become Paul, had wreaked havoc among the church, and then he got saved and sent out. And, and James is more than likely one of the earliest letters here. Well, there's a verse in the Bible, to whom much is given, much is required. James says, listen, you're going to be judged. You want to be in charge. You're going to have to take the responsibility of reporting directly to Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that I tried to counsel the church in in Riverhead, Community Baptist, because I've seen this happen so many times. Their pastor left. He had a man that was scheduled to come in, and it just did not work. Uh, We're not here to point fault or worry about why it did not work or blame somebody. That's not the point. The point is they're without a pastor. Well, who's going to provide leadership for that church? Well, we can't come from the right place because they have no pastor right now. And so I challenged the church. I've seen this happen. I've seen... I've seen churches that were pastored by the church secretary. Now, that violates uh, biblical principle on so many points. But here's the question. When you've had, uh, and, and this is certainly not community, but there are certain churches that have four and five pastors in four or five years or even less. Who's going to write the checks Probably the church secretary. Who gets the mail? Church secretary. Who schedules the preachers? Probably church secretary. If she's worth her salt at all, she's not going to let the church close. She's going to do things that need to be done. Well, what happens? She takes on positions and authority that never were intended for God by God to rest upon her shoulders. Then when a real pastor comes in, it's hard to let go. And see, churches get messed up when people who do not, should not have authority take it. You see, my faith should work. But part of having biblical faith This isn't the corporate world. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to seek positions. We do not need to seek authority. We do not need to seek a higher level uh, of, of 
whatever. What You know what we need to seek? Serving the Lord Jesus Christ more. And James says, listen, you, you reason why is because there's going to be greater judgment. There's going to be greater responsibility. And, and verse 2, he, he makes one of the most simple statements uh, in the book of James that applies to every one of us. For in many things we offend all. How many would be honest with your pastor and say, I have said things that have offended and hurt other people. Would you lift up a hand and say, hey, I admit it, I've done that. Guess what? Welcome to the human race, we might say. This is part of being a sinful man or woman. And just because you have a position of leadership doesn't mean that you're not going to be any less offensive. In fact, you'll probably find out you have more opportunities to offend. And as a preacher, I pray, I want to be careful that I don't say things from the pulpit that will unnecessarily offend people. The gospel is offensive. Understanding that I'm a sinner and on my way to hell, what could be, what more, uh, how more could you offend somebody? But if that offense will bring them to the gospel, hey, then, then we've got to do that. But we don't need to be rude, we don't need to be crude, and we need to understand here, um, James says, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Now, I want us to to look at this. It says, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Now, would we have anyone here that would lift their hand and say, that's me. I've never offended anybody with my spoken word. I have been so careful. I don't see hands going up. I was just showing you what to do if you wanted to lie again. Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, if you have everything in your life in order to the Lord Jesus Christ, your mouth is in order first. And if your mouth isn't in order, there's a whole lot of other things that aren't in order. Are we together on that? James is trying to get us to understand that it is not our wonderful personalities that make us gel together as a church. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It is not our great abilities. In fact, I would honestly tell you the most talented people we've ever had visit this church have caused the greatest harm and dissension in our church. Because they were the antithesis of these verses, seeking to be many masters. It, you, you Let me tell you the hardest thing in the world to do is try to teach someone something you do exceptionally well. 
How many of you have ever caught yourself saying, listen, it's just easier for me to do it rather than try to teach you? Hello? Seek not to be many masters. We offend each other on a regular basis. So what should we do? We need to have a proper biblical attitude toward ourselves. I'm not the most wonderful person that's ever lived. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Amen? And and if I'm going to fit into this church, if I'm going to be a member, if I'm going to be a, a really positive part, it's not going to be because of who I am or what I've done. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. And if I slip and say something, that should be one of those warning signals. Boop, boop, red light flashing saying, that's not all that's wrong today in your life. Are we together on that? Because the rest of the book is not, the rest of the chapter is, is predicated on these Summary verses at the beginning of it here. And then he goes on. He gives us the example of the horse. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? A horse is a powerful being. In fact, there are many, many people down through the years who have been killed trying to shoe a horse or take care of a horse. Uh, one kick from a horse, you bleed to death internally before the doctor can get there and help you. If, if the horse kicks you in the, the soft belly section, he can rupture your liver, spleen, and, and you're going to bleed to death before anybody even know what's wrong with you. There are people that have been paralyzed you think of that uh, actor, what was his name? Christopher Reeve was trying to jump a horse, broke his neck, and, and never walked again, never moved his arms hardly. Uh, horses are powerful beings. And uh, yet to ride a horse, you've got to make the horse obey you. And uh, I've, I've never ridden a horse where the horse just did what it was supposed to do. They test you every time. And they can feel me. When I get on them, they're like, ah, this guy doesn't know what he's doing because I only get on a horse under duress. Somebody says, oh, you just got to do it. Okay, okay, I'll do it. But the problem with a horse and me is there's no time to build a relationship there. That horse does not like my girth and my height and my weight. It hurts. And, and so uh, the, I remember getting on a horse one time. First thing he did is took off for the fence and tried to rub my leg right off of him. Uh, and uh, I learned pretty quick. You grab a hold of that bridle and you pull back on that bit. And I heard that bit steel clunking in the teeth, and I mean, I mean, it was it was a terrible sound. I don't like to hurt that uh, a horse. I don't like to inflict pain on an animal. 
But I'm not going to let him inflict pain on me. And I walk under a low, uh, low tree branch and knock me off the back of the horse. Uh, that's just not my idea of fun. And, and so, man, I grab a hold of that ride. And pretty soon, that, uh, after about two minutes, that horse has got this thing figured out. But as soon as I relaxed on the reins, right back to doing the old tricks again. And so, I said, man, I just, I just don't like keeping a tight bit the whole time I'm riding on a horse. If somebody gets me a good-natured one that does what it's supposed to do, I might enjoy it. But uh, I, that's just not... But here's the example. We can control a horse by putting a bit in its mouth and a bridle on its head. You know, there's been some people thought maybe if they just put a muzzle on their mouth, it would be controlled. But you know what? You have to take it off because you got to eat. And as soon as you open your mouth, you're going to start saying things you ought not say. Yeah. The control is not external. It's internal. I love to tour Navy ships and uh, been on the Intrepid several times through the years. And I always like going up to the Admiral's Bridge. Uh, just something special about climbing all those stairs and getting up there where you can just see everything from the from the Admiral's Bridge there on the on an aircraft carrier. And all he does is speak into a tube. And that huge ship obeys his command instantly. He's got a man standing beside him and he's got a two handled thing and he it's got stop and and fast forward, fast reverse, and and all the different speeds, and he'll set that, and that'll send a signal down to the engine room where the big steam boilers are uh, turning out the steam to make the turbines that turn those propellers and those ships. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the new ones we have are amazing. Could you imagine over a full acre of landing strip Moving 30 knots, 24 hours a day, not having to refuel for years at a time with a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, carrying, enough, carrying more weaponry on one ship, more ordinances than was expended in the entire Pacific theater in World War II. And that's just one boat, that's just one ship. And he's got a little thing that he just says, such and such a heading, flank speed, and they move things, and then the people downstairs start scrambling. Because they're going to make that great big ship, hundreds of thousands of tons, start cutting through the water at an incredible speed, headed toward its target. Hey, that's cool. But you can't put a steam regulator on your tongue. It doesn't work. And so, we, uh, we, we look down through here. Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and things in the sea is tamed. Now, you thought that killer whales and dolphins and 
and uh, animal shows was a brand new thing. Apparently, James knew about something in the sea being tamed. He said so right here, and the taming of the serpents and the big elephants and all of those things. Man has tamed them. You know, they'll take a baby elephant and they'll take a rope about that big around and they'll tie him to a stake that a man can drive in the ground. And that little baby elephant will pull and pull and pull and he cannot move that stake. And elephants you hear about remembering, he gets trained. Ten years later, you now have a ten-ton beast who could kick that stake out of the ground with one little tug. But that elephant remembers when it was a little baby, it couldn't move that tug, and it won't even try. Not unless there is some catastrophe of fire or some serious attack will an elephant even try to pull against that stake because it believes in its mind. It's been trained. It's been tamed. But you can't do that to your tongue, can you? It says that the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Verse 6 says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. I mean, how? what more could James say? Now, what does he mean? Does he mean that uh, we're all fire-breathing dragons, and we blow out fire and brimstone, uh, everything? No. What he's telling us is what gets burned by this tongue cannot be unburned. You can't rescue it. How many of you remember? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. How many of you remember that? Can I challenge you? That's dumber than a box of rocks, my friend. Uh, pun intended. Uh it, it, it's not going to, it's, it's the names that really hurt us. I, I don't understand. We have 10 and 12 year old children committing suicide today because somebody called them names on the internet. How many of you have been called names? I remember my mom telling me this when I was a little boy. You just tell him sticks and stones may break my bones, but mom, I want to break his bones. No. Uh, she, you can't do that. Uh, but then my mom said, I, I want you to think about something. I said, okay, I'm willing to think about something. Who is saying these mean things about you? I said, well, um, he's bigger than I am. He's stronger than I am. Uh, is he smarter than you are? No. In fact, he doesn't do very good in school. Oh, well, maybe we have a problem here. 
But she came up with a little phrase. She said, consider the source. Would you believe anything that person would say about you? If they told you the building was on fire, would you believe them? No, absolutely not. Well, then why would you believe them when they tell you you're something you already know you're not? Oh, all of a sudden the light went on. But how many lives have been destroyed by the tongue? What did they just try to do to Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh? I like the sound of that. And if you're upset about that, see me afterwards. I'll try to help you understand that what went on there had nothing to do with truth. Nothing whatsoever. In fact, we have some senators that if they were not United States senators, they would be up on criminal charges for doing what they did to Judge Kavanaugh. It's crazy. And the thing is, you can't undo it. How many people, where does Judge Kavanaugh go to get his reputation back? Because there are people that just heard for the last ten days some of the most vile and base things reported as if they were gospel fact when there's not one bit of cooperative evidence ever over under uh, shown up by the FBI. And let me tell you, the relationship with the FBI and the White House right now aren't very good. If there was something there, don't you think they would have been waving it in the president's face? Uh, you, you better believe they would have been. They're, they're not cowed. They're not hiding here. But they couldn't prove a thing, and so they had to back down. This, we live in very dangerous times. We have people running around using their mouth. How many forest fires have been started with a cigarette butt kicked out the window? with a little campfire left burning. How many forest fires have been started by sparks from a dangling chain hitting the pavement from a truck? Let me tell you, it doesn't take much of a fire once the the forest is dry and things are ready to get it going. And you can't put out a forest fire. You know, we get that phrase, you fight fire with fire. Well, how, uh, there have been times where they've set the backfires and tried to stop the big fire, and they joined and made a bigger fire. You fight fires with water. And, and the Bible tells us that this tongue, that if, if we would just realize the power that is there and how dangerous it is, That's a biblical attitude toward myself. Are we on board? And so we come down here and and he gives us one more example. Uh, He tells us, therewith, verse 9, 
Bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. You can't get good and bad water out of the fountain at the same place. Either a spring is good or it's bad. A fig tree makes figs, an olive tree makes olives, and there the two cross. Now, do they? And the Bible says that we need to work. And if we would work on this, there's not another passion that you face and you fight that you couldn't bring under control if you could just control this. You say, well, I have such a terrible temper and I just say things that ought not be said. Well, if you controlled the tongue that said the bad things in response to your temper, you would actually have to control the temper first now, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's what James is talking about here. And when we can't control, we, we tend to blame it on our temper when we need to blame it on our tongue. If we could control that, we would take care of everything else. Now, the Bible tells us here in these last uh, five verses, six verses, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Now, I I don't want to rush through this because this is what we need to strive to look like. There, There is a warning here. There is a massive warning here. We must work on this thing called tongue. Guess what? Your preacher's first in line. None of us are exempt from this. We all say things we ought not say. Hey, let's seek not to be many masters. If God wants you in charge, He'll let you know, He'll give you a place. And until then, work on putting this thing on a leash. Amen? Because if you can tie up this thing and keep it from doing wrong things, you're going to straighten out so many other things in your life, you are going to be shocked with the change. It says a man that can bridle his tongue is perfect. Well, I'll be honest, I'm not perfect yet. How about you? Is that an excuse to keep on going? No. It's all the more reason for us to take this working faith and apply it, chapter 2, to chapter 3. We've got to work on it. It can do wonderful things. It can help people. It can lead another soul to Christ. Or it can say things and hurt people and offend them in such a way that they will never, ever get saved. Our attitude toward ourselves. 
You can't stick it out and hold it in your hand. It won't work. Your tongue, that is. Can't put a bridle on it. You can't muzzle yourself. You can't do a whole lot of things that... What you have to do is get a faith that reaches up from the inside and puts a hold on it. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we develop a biblical attitude toward ourselves. And Lord, we'd realize that tongue does far too much speaking. That it does offend. And Lord, that you would give us the biblical love that we should have without partiality and all those great list of adjectives. Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunity to study these things next Thursday night and to learn and to be encouraged from your word. Before we finish that prayer, if you need to slip out and come to the altar, the altar's open.